0: This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Meyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is
1: Chuck Meyer.
0: The report is in from Jerusalem. The world order on verge of cliff. That's the headline. World order on verge of cliff. The world is at a transition point analogous to being on the verge of a cliff, is said, after which a series of crises striking simultaneously will reorder the planet's geopolitics, the place of technology, the economic order, and a variety of other disciplines from health to energy, according to Israel's first government national intelligence estimate. The report was published by the intelligence ministry there in Israel. According to the report, the world is at the verge of a cliff and is likely to be struck by a variety of crises affecting all aspects of life. And, of course, what does government do with a crisis? You dare not let the crises go without taking advantage of it. And that's precisely how COVID happened all the vaccines and the control, and that's precisely how further crises will be dealt with. According to the report, recommendations from a team of eight experts who wrote the report addressed all critical areas related to national power and resilience, including but going far beyond mere military power. These recommendations focused on advancing key geopolitical alliances, serving as a geopolitical and technological bridge between countries and preemptively filling potential gaps in national resilience. Some of the danger areas discussed were health, energy, and water. The report also recognized a major change in Israel's status since evolving from an energy-weak country to energy-independent with the uh, find of natural gas in its maritime coastal areas a couple of decades ago. The recommendations were presented to a special conference today, including officials from all of the arms of Israel's defense and intelligence branches. Does this sound current? The report brought today. World on order. World order on verge of a cliff. I have stood on the edge of many a cliff particularly in times when I was doing my uh, rock climbing and so on back in my earlier days. And uh, quite frankly, you don't want to be on the edge of a cliff unless you have some sort of protection. And according to the uh, Israeli intelligence ministry, the world is exactly in that position, on the edge of a cliff without any protection particularly. Now what do we do? That's the question. What do we do then? What do we do now? So today on Viewpoint, we're going to take a look at this matter of not only the world order being on the verge of radical change, but we're going to see how that world order was on the verge of radical change when Yeshua, Jesus Christ, showed up on the scene at his first coming. You got that right, friends. Jesus changed the world order. He did at his first coming, and the world has resisted ever since, and he's going to change the world order at his second coming. Well, that's going to link together two of our recent books, Antichrist and Messiah, believe it or not. And so if you don't have those books, you're going to need to get them, because, quite frankly, friends, everything that is happening right now is pointing the way that what we have written about in the last two years, Antichrist and Messiah, is in the process of occurring in its final forms right before our eyes, including this announcement from Israel today. Got your attention yet? Again, I welcome you to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. Conversation is always with ever-increasing conviction talk that transforms. And I trust that today will not only be informational, but will be transformational because, as we say regularly, information without transformation leads to frustration, stagnation, and often termination. You don't want to be terminated, friends. You don't want to be part of that uh, regime because it doesn't end well so we need transformation but how do we get from information to transformation that's what makes this program different pretty much than any other christian issues oriented program out there what's the difference serious application you see it's very easy to present all kinds of information it titillates people's uh, uh, desire for more and more information to know more than the next guy, that kind of thing. But it doesn't accomplish anything. It goes nowhere. You can get a lot of listeners by just presenting information that titillates their senses. But the moment you start moving from information to serious application is when the fur starts to fly because the rubber is now meeting the road. That's what people have a hard time with, including Christians. Just have a problem with applying, being willing to apply the information to our lives. You say, well, how in the world can you apply information concerning the world order being on the verge of a cliff? How do you apply that? Well, it's very simple. The implication is great, friends. Jesus, over and over and over again in his ministry, pointed the way to that application. Many of his parables were all about that application. He said, many are going to, in that day, are going to say, Lord, Lord, did we not do this in your name? Did we not do that in your name? And he's going to say, depart from me You workers of iniquity, I never knew you. Why would he say that to people who purportedly did things, seemingly ministry things, in his name? Because they missed the point. They diverted people from the real point and used other things to hide the real point so that the people would not walk with their feet away from their ministries. Now, that's just one application. Another is, Jesus said that we should be prepared. He says, you don't know the day or the hour of my return. He didn't say you don't know the season. He said, you don't know the day or the hour. And nobody knows, even the son, but the father only. So, if you know the season, then, by implication, what should you be doing? That's what Jesus' whole message was about. That's what the disciples were about, preparing the way of the Lord. That's what John the Baptist was about, preparing the way of the Lord. In other words, people get ready. Jesus is coming again. Soon will be coming home for those who are actually ready. Those who are ready are the ones who have taken the word of God And not just received it as information, but applied it in transformational ways to radically change their lives from the inside out, to walk with God in spirit and in truth, just like Enoch did in the Old Testament. Hmm. Much more to talk about here as we talk about this
1: R.G.
0: christmas and the new world order you wouldn't normally think of linking those would you but as i was considering today looking at the various news items particularly this one world order on verge of a cliff all of a sudden it was like the holy spirit witnessed uh, whispered in my ear and said son When Jesus came the first time, he came to change the world order. The world has been resisting him ever since. When he comes the second time, the last time, he's going to come to radically change the world order permanently. So all of the other talk about a new world order is actually the work of Jesus Christ. Counterfeit. We refer to him as the anti-Christ, the one who is against Christ. He has every effort, every means, every uh, intent to turn our world into a new world order in alliance, in accordance with his, that is, Satan's viewpoint. And that's where we get this tremendous conflict right now. And the conflict is growing, isn't it? You could look at it in terms of, say, the social issues in America and also around the world. We lament the decline of uh, biblical values. We look at the moral debauchery that is uh, growing rapidly and being approved rapidly across America and around the Western world. Well, how is that happening? Friends, that's introducing a new world order, a new moral order for the world. It's not a geopolitical order, it's a moral order. Whose moral order is it? It's Satan's moral order. And that moral moral order will be, we could call it the immoral order, but then for Satan, a deceiver... He takes that which is moral and converts it into immorality. He takes that which is immoral and turns it into the new morality. You see, the new moral world order. Perhaps you haven't thought about it that way. It wouldn't be customary to think about it that way, but that's exactly what has happened. And what is happening? There are a number of different new world order aspects that are taking place. One is the new moral order. Another is a new economic order. Another is a new religious order. Another is a new geopolitical order. You see, all of these are part of the greater one world government that is being put in place as we speak. And even the Pope has been participant in it. Still is. Still is. It's one of the reasons he just got rid of one of the uh, priests in the Roman Catholic Church. Father Pavone, because this priest has been fighting against abortion. He's made it a big deal. The Pope isn't real happy about that because it doesn't unify the rest of the world under his mothering wings of the papacy. So he's got to get rid of a voice like that. That kind of a voice just can't be tolerated. Are you beginning to get the picture? And so we're seeing things take place right now in our world that reveal that there is, in fact a major tectonic shift in our world. It's been taking place since the 1960s, certainly, in the moral order of things, also in the geopolitical order, because at that time, in 1967, Jerusalem came back for the first time in almost 2,000 years under the governorship of Israel. That was a major shift in the world order of things. It was a major shift of the world order of things in 1948 when Israel became a nation again after 2,000 years. These are major shifts in the world order of things. And isn't it interesting that it's only been since the 1950s that the term new world order Has become into popular usage. And particularly in the last two years, the terms or the term world order or new world order has become commonplace. When did that begin? It began in 1990 with a Republican president, George Herbert Walker Bush, not George W. Bush, George Herbert Walker Bush who in 1990 declared before a joint session of Congress that we are on the edge, that there is a new world order being born, and we need to work with it. We need to help assist it in 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 being born. He was all excited about it. He was thrilled with it. And then over 200 times in his administration, he repeated words that had never been heard from an American president in public, the New World Order. Isn't that amazing? 1990. Two years later, the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart as a practicing trial lawyer in California. He said, son, you've been pleading the cause of men long enough. I want you to plead my cause now. In the land, as a voice to the church, declaring vision for the nation, America's greatest crisis hour here on the near edge of the second coming. I said, yes, sir. And that's when we began. In 1993, we formed Save America Ministries, rebuilding the foundations of faith and freedom. In 1995, after having completely relocated across the country, after 30 years of business ministry and political investment in in California, sold everything. Came to the birthplace of the nation where we launched a national radio program called Viewpoint. Confronting the deepest issues of America's heart and home from God's eternal perspective. That's the program you're listening to today. Been on the air for 27 and a half years. Preparing the way of the Lord for history's final hour. We do it in many different ways. We use the issues of our time. Every day we present a case, God's case to his people. We present an opening statement. We give, we present the evidence, documentary, testamentary, and so on, testimonial, and then a closing argument to wrap it all up and tie it together to apply it. And who's the jury? You are. You are the jury, and you must respond. You have to bring a verdict. Is this the truth or is it not? If it's the truth, then what am I going to do with it? I have to do something with it. What am I going to do? And that's why an early listener to this program made an interesting statement. He said, you just can't listen to viewpoint long and not be changed. Interesting, isn't it? Change you can believe in. Well, That is the calling here as the times intensify. So what were the times like when Jesus came on the scene at his birth? Well, we know that things were really, really tight in the world. The world was uptight. Rome was in rulership. The Roman Empire with its uh, mighty iron fist, ruling with intensity. But I'll tell you, things were not pretty. They were not pretty at all. Just before that, you had the, uh, the rise of the Maccabees. That had to fight to protect Jerusalem and fight to protect the temple from the onslaught of Antiochus Epiphanes and uh, uh, the Greek Seleucid uh, rulers and so on. They fought to the death. That's where Hanukkah came from. Hanukkah came out of that fight to the death. These people were absolutely, the Maccabees and those that followed them were absolutely sold out to protect and preserve what they understood was the kingdom of God, the temple, and uh, the ritualistic righteousness for keeping the temple pure. Hanukkah celebrated the victory as they came in against incredible odds, defeated the enemy, and then cleansed the temple. It became known as the Feast of Dedication. Jesus himself kept the Feast of Dedication. The dedication or rededication of the temple. Today, that is what God is calling you and me to do. He's calling us to rededicate and cleanse the temple. What temple? Doesn't the Bible say, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Don't you know that? How is it that we can be supposed followers of Jesus Christ and not get it? Not understand these things? But in many respects, we don't. Or we only know these things in theory, but we don't apply them. We don't take them seriously enough, like the Maccabees did, to do anything about it. There's a sense in which when Jesus came, he was really calling for us to do a spiritual Maccabean revolt against the evil one in our lives. He wanted us to repent. He wanted us to turn to him. He wanted us to purify the temple. He said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Well, isn't the light all what Hanukkah is all about? Aren't we right in the midst of Hanukkah as we speak? Wasn't it yesterday that the first light of the Hanukkah menorah was lit? lit? And in that context, Jesus says, you're the light of the world. He also said, while I am in the world, I'm the light of the world. But he's not in the world today, friends. So he said, now you're the light of the world. Are we really lights in the world? If our temple is not, if the temple of our lives is not righteous, if we're not walking in righteousness and in holiness without which no man shall see the Lord, our light is not shining. It's dimmed at best. And camouflaged at worst. So all of these things you see now merge as we're coming to the end of the age. The message of Hanukkah, the message of purifying the temple, the message of Christ Yeshua coming as a babe to initiate a new world order. You say, "Well, how do you know that? Why do you, why would you use that term?" Well, let me give you an idea. In fact, I'm going to give you that idea after this upcoming break. It comes from a passage of scripture that is quoted constantly at Christmas time about the first coming of Christ. And from it, we can understand implicitly, in fact, directly, that Jesus was about initiating a new world order. And it wasn't about politics. It was about a profound change of heart and direction and motivation. It was about a spiritual new world order. And that same Holy Spirit that inspired that is inspiring the words that you're hearing today to call all of us to this New world order, not the political new world order, but a spiritual new world order that Satan himself through an antichrist spirit is doing everything in his power to frustrate, to counteract and destroy. As Jesus said, the thief cometh but for steal to kill and destroy, but I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. That's where we are. Now, in order to understand the greater picture, you might want to get a copy of the book Antichrist and the book Messiah, each of them $22. But if you want to get the special offer, we're offering them this month for $36 combined. That's a lot of savings. We'll be right back. What would destabilize our world? It's the things that those who are observing in governmental positions and otherwise are seeking to identify, to determine how a new world order would occur. What conditions would have to exist in order to catapult what is into this new form of Of world order. As the Jerusalem Post announced today, the Israeli intelligence ministry today announced that the world order is on the verge of a cliff. In other words, it is so precipitous. The world is in such a dangerous position right now. the combination of one, two, or three events could collectively form such a crisis that it would literally catapult the world into such radical change that would be like a massive worldwide earthquake. And so they actually talk, uh, call it tectonic struggles, a word used to describe earthquake activity. In addition to that, Another announcement from the Jerusalem Post. Iran and North Korea are in a New World Order race. A different New World Order that they're trying to construct. In space. Together, these countries are part of a kind of secondary New World Order, says the article, in terms of missile, defense, satellite, and other technologies that can threaten the world. Iran's transfer of drones to Russia is one example. Both countries threaten their regions, and they both work as part of the authoritarian alliance designed to upend the Western democracies of the U.S.-led international rules-based order that has been in place since 1990. So North Korea showed off an image that it claimed was a photo from space showing South Korea's capital and the area of another town, where the then-commander of U.S. and U.N. forces had launched the amphibious landings that helped turn the tide of the Korean War in 1950. This was symbolically important for the North, North Korea. And in addition to that, Iran is also launching satellites. These communication satellites will bring Iran one step closer to increasing its power in space. In other words, these countries that are nuclear uh, powers that hate the West and hate Israel are doing everything they can to put themselves into position technologically, politically, militarily, and so on, to be able to commandeer the rest of the world. Iran launched a military satellite in 2020, increasing report uh, uh, revealing Iran's abilities, and it dovetails with North Korea's satellite program in terms of two smaller countries trying to get involved in the space race. All of this, friends, is setting the stage for the grand implementation of the final events of world history. Just as the Bible foretold. Didn't have to talk about satellites. As the article concludes from the Jerusalem Post today, the Iran-North Korea space race is important. They're not necessarily racing against each other, but their race is to get more satellites into space, a reminder of how, The center of power has shifted from the west to these kinds of regional powers. Today, it's authoritarian regimes and their technology like drones, satellites, missiles, that are a major challenge to the world order. There it is again, to the world order. When Jesus showed up in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, He threatened the then world order. How do we know that? Because Herod, who was then king in Judea, when he heard from the wise men that a king was born, where is he that is born king of the Jews, for we have seen his star of the Easter to come to worship him, all of a sudden Herod's headlights go up, the red warning lights, something has happened to change the world. He said, not on my watch. So what did he do? He sent his soldiers to Bethlehem and marched through every home and killed every boy, baby, two years of age and under to prevent a new world order from taking place. Prevent this babe who was born in a manger, but born to be king to prevent him from fulfilling his role in the world. Even Pharaoh back in Egypt tried to do the same thing, remember? When he saw that the Hebrew people, the Jews, were becoming uh, so numerous and so on, he feared their potential political power. And so he uh, ordered that all new baby boys be thrown in the Nile River and Moses' mom uh, saved him by faith and he became the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter and the story can went on from there that God used uh, even Pharaoh's Uh, Effort to destroy God's redemptive plan used it for his own glory. And the same was true with Herod. You see, Herod uh, had every intention of destroying any possibility that anyone would arise to destroy or mess with his version of the world order at that time. He was a Roman hack. He was king of Judea, but his allegiance was not so much to Judea as to himself. And so he played footsie with the Romans who were then the world rulers. And he said, Nobody's going to come, nobody's going to come against me. What did Herod do? He tried to kill all those little boy babies there in Bethlehem. And it fulfilled the prophecy that in Ramah was Rachel weeping for her children who were not. Not only that, but it drove Joseph and Mary and their new son into Egypt to await the death of Herod and his deadly cohorts so that the angel then could tell, through a dream, could tell Joseph, okay, I want you to take your child, Jesus, Yeshua, Yahweh, excuse me, Yeshua, and take him back into Israel because they are dead now that seek his life. So now God's effort to launch the new world order through his son, the new spiritual order through his son could be fulfilled. In fact, so much so so that in bringing Jesus back out of Egypt into Israel, it fulfilled the prophecy of Hosea 1 that out of Egypt have I called my son. So it even brought glory to God in the fulfillment of ancient prophecy, Herod's efforts to try to destroy. The same will be true in the coming New World Order. When Antichrist, as the expression, the, shall we say, the virtual incarnation of Satan himself, just like Jesus, or in a similar way, I won't say just like, in a similar way to which Jesus was the incarnation of the Father, full of grace and truth. So Antichrist will be the physical representation on this earth of Satan full of lies, deception, lying wonders, and uh, and evil and wickedness. Always in rebellion, seeking to form his own world order. So what we're looking at now is the competition between two world orders. Satan's world order that he projects on the planet when he said, I will be like the Most High God, and God the Father's world order when he sends forth his only begotten Son full of grace and truth to deliver a truth concerning salvation, concerning uh, how we should not serve the ways of this world but be transformed, then as the world is given 2,000 years to deal with the issue, whether or not we will hear and heed, the father is getting ready to send his son back to take final dominion. And only those who have submitted fully and completely to his world order are going to be saved. Jesus made it very clear. Not everyone who says unto me, Lord, Lord, is going to inherit the kingdom. Only those who do the will of my Father. In other words, only those who obey him like I did. That's what he's saying. We have to walk with him in spirit and in truth. We cannot yield to the ways and the commandeering ways, the deceptive ways of the new world order, Satan's world order, but we must be prepared to stand in the evil day and having done all to stand, to stand, having our loins hurt about with truth, and so on. This is the final spiritual warfare. It is somewhat analogous to the Maccabees rising up, giving rise to Hanukkah, The celebration of the purification of the temple, very similar to that. You could almost say that that was like a a precursor symbolic expression of what God is intending to do with you and me today. He wants us to rise up and then bow down and worship him, surrender and cleanse our temple. We'll be
1: back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like?
0: That's what we're talking about here today on Viewpoint, a fascinating way to look at this, because as Jesus came the first time, remember, he came to save his people from their sin, but that's not all. If you think that's all, you've missed one of the most important passages in the Bible that, has, that is quoted constantly with regard to Christmas, Now, in order to set the stage for that, I'm going to go back and I'm going to read to you a few paragraphs from Chapter 7 of my book, Antichrist, How to Identify the Coming Imposter. The title of this chapter is Globalism, the Anti-Gospel. Man devises his ways, seeking to create a utopian world order promising peace, inevitably through a counterfeit prince of peace. here we go. We shall have world government, whether or not we like it, declared James Paul Warburg on February 17th, 1950. He was speaking before the United States Senate. He said the only question is whether world government will be achieved by conquest or consent. God's desire through his son is that his world order in our lives, be obtained by consent, the consent of the governed, that is, you and me. That's not how Satan works. If you won't voluntarily agree, he'll force you to agree. And that tells you what's going to happen as this new world order, advanced by none other than Satan's emissary, the Antichrist, is going to look. If you think that it's just about government agencies forcing parents to yield to having their babies injected with the vaccine that is not pure, when the parents themselves have requested the pure blood, in other words, blood from someone other than someone who has been vaccinated, and the government and the medical profession is refusing to do so, if you think that's tough, that's just a small precursor to what's coming. It's, it's called compulsion. If you don't do what I say, then it's going to be out of your hands. That's the new world order. That's the new utopia. That's how they're supposedly going to bring peace. World government has been the dream and dominion of men through the ages to this present age. From the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11 to the trumpeting of the new world order in our generation, mankind and its various kingdoms and rulers have sought to govern the then known world in power and glory. Inevitably, man's lust for power and glory seeks to eclipse, escape, or even defy the power and glory of the Creator. The problem with pursuit of global government is not the nature of government itself, For God has ordained government as the minister of God to you for good, to protect against evil and praise that which is good. Civil government among mankind is to be conducted under the overarching fear of the God of the Bible and his governance. But when humans forsake the fear of the Lord, God's ways of government and covenantal oversight and revelation no longer are available. So man thus devises his own ways seeking to create a utopian world order promising peace on earth inevitably through a counterfeit prince of peace. And the promise and hope of the utopian world order ushering in world peace are profoundly alluring to the natural mind. Usually it's surrounded by the phrase peace, peace when there is no peace. Then we know That there's a final government that's going to rule the world at the end of the age, the prophet Daniel foresaw this as a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong, different from all the other governments before it. And this great and fearsome fourth beast shall devour the whole earth, shall tread it down and break it in pieces. I believe it's a resurrected or revived Roman Empire that ruled at the time of Jesus, friends. When Jesus was born, Rome ruled. When Jesus returns, Rome will be ruling again. Rome declared the government of the world to be upon its shoulder. Even the King of Kings was sent by God to reintroduce God's governance in the world. So here's what I want you to be aware of. We go now to that passage that I've referred to twice during this program today. Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. Quoted constantly at the time of Christmas. Remember, we're talking about Christmas and the new world order. Here's what Isaiah said. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. What? The government? I thought Jesus came to save us from our sin. Why is Isaiah talking about a government? Because this is one of the reasons why Jesus came and why he's coming again. To restore the government of God or a new world order. The order that God had intended from the very beginning that man rebelled against even in the Garden of Eden. The prophet Isaiah goes on to say, Of the increase of his, that is, Jesus' government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David, not Rome, and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. Do you see now that in reality, God's greater purpose was not just to save us from our sin. That was for the purpose of preparing God's new world order in our own hearts and lives. In other words, to cleanse the temple and make us a place for the habitation of the Holy Spirit so that God could work in and through us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Could bring joy unspeakable and full of glory for this new world order that the half has never yet been told to prepare us as a people fit for his habitation and presence. No wonder the Apostle John says, whoever has this hope of the second coming of Jesus in him will purify himself even as Christ is pure. In other words, he'll do exactly what the Maccabees tried to do or did back there in the days of the uprising when wickedness in a a counterfeit messianic figure, Antiochus Epiphanes came through to desecrate the temple, erect an image of himself and a swine right there in the temple, and it had to all be cleansed and purified. By symbol, friends, that represents all of the evil and the wickedness that inhabits our temples, that is, our lives, our hearts. And the Apostle John says, look, if Jesus is coming and you're going to anticipate his coming, you better be prepared for a new world order. It's going to change everything. Therefore, you must purify yourself even as Christ is pure. Christ was the pure temple. You and I are to be purified temples. Are you beginning to see the greater picture here? If we begin to see the greater picture, it is a beautiful situation. We can see the imagery. We can see the foretelling. We can see how God is working everything here and the great A confrontation of history is about to be completed. It wasn't just Antiochus Epiphanes and his horrific uh, treatment of the Jews. All of that is going to recur again in spades. Jesus tells us that. We're told in the book of uh, Revelation that's going to happen. That even the Holocaust was a Sunday school picnic compared to what's going to happen, in which two-thirds of all the Jewish people are going to lose their lives in the final effort to eradicate all representations of God and hope in God from the earth. That's how Satan will seek to have peace on earth. Just get rid of all opposition. The same is true with regard to Christians. As it is with the Jews, so with the Gentile believers. They don't call that anti-Semitism. They call it persecution. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. Why do you think you should be different than your Lord? If you go to uh, Matthew chapter 10, and I urge you to read Matthew chapter 10, you're going to be shocked at what Jesus said. We need to be shocked right now. We need a little spiritual shock treatment, a little tectonic shaking deep in our minds and our hearts to realize what things are like and are going to be like because as Jesus came the first time, the world got shook up. The powers that be were shook up. And Elvis wasn't even listening or living then to write the song, I'm All Shook Up. But when Christ comes the second time, the shaking is going to be so severe that the Bible says that everything that can be shaken is going to be shaken. Everything. In the book of Hebrews, God says, At Sinai, I shook the earth. But now, at the second coming, I'm going to shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. So, when we look at the concept of a new world order, perhaps those who are listening today... We'll per- or see it in a bit of a different light. That Satan has always wanted to bring his world order. God has always wanted to bring his world order. Satan's world order is a world of disorder and chaos. God's world order is a, a, a world order of genuine peace. And that's why the shepherds were told by the angels there on the hills of Bethlehem. Behold, I give unto you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall see the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And then there was a great host of heaven that joined them. Can you imagine what that was like? Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. You see, that's exactly what Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, about 700 years earlier. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, the Prince of Peace. But peace only on his terms. Do you have true peace? Are you sure? When all hell breaks loose with Satan's effort to consummate his global government, Will you still have peace? That's why I wrote the book Antichrist and the book Messiah. Each of them is $22. On our website, saveus.org, you can get a special offer this month only, Antichrist and Messiah, for $36 total. Go to the website, saveus.org, order it today, become a partner friends with us, as we're seriously preparing the way of the Lord.
1: You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.